Hello everyone and welcome to Artifacts. I'm your host, Marissa Dickens, and today I have a special, special guest on my podcast. He is like family. I've known him for over 10 years now. This guy knows everyone and everyone knows him. So wherever you're listening, please help me welcome the one and only Dominic Shamas. Wow, I really don't deserve that introduction, dude. No, you do. You're like an unofficial family member. That I will take. I really do. Uh, yeah, I feel like you guys are family. I can't explain it. I've known you since you were watching the Flintstones. That was the first night I met you, I think. There was a Flintstones situation on the TV. Yeah. And uh, now you're all grown up. I so know. Please- you know. It's just funny knowing you as I've gotten older. Because I used to go to bed so early. As you get older, you start having deep discussions. And I would stay up later and get to know all the things about you, Dom. It was great. <laughs> it was good seeing you grow up. I mean, it's, 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 I'm not a parent. But I understand the shock that parents go through because it's still shocking. So <laughs> you grow up. It just happens so fast. It's really <laughs> weird. But it's good. So I have you on because I wanted to give you the opportunity to share your story. So this month marks two years since you were in a car accident. And so I wanted to just start off with, you know, you telling your story, especially for people who may or may not know what happened to you just to hear from your words. So first of all, how are you doing just in general? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing my thing. I'm going to therapy uh, four to five times a week and I'm trying to get better and uh, just taking the situation for what it is. It's not easy, but I'm doing it. So can you talk a little bit about what exactly happened to you? Yeah. So it's nothing I ever imagined would happen to me. They always tell you it's somebody else. You always hear these stories and I'm like, okay, I'm being played and safe my whole life. I'm not diving into water. I'm not riding horses. But I went to visit family in Michigan. It was a beautiful summer day. I was supposed to be here for the weekend. Uh, It was a Friday. My cousin was moving. And I offered to help. And they said that there were some extra donations that needed to be dropped off. I'm like, okay, that's easy enough. I'm driving. I drop them off and I come home. I had a green light. I was going like 40 miles an hour. And before you knew it, I had no clue what was going on. I opened my eyes. There was smoke everywhere. I could not feel my legs. Everybody was screaming and telling me to get out of the car. Tried to get out, couldn't get out. Then I realized I couldn't move, couldn't feel my legs. And I'm like, oh my God. I did not want to look at my legs because I was so scared. I was like, you know, if I can't feel them, what has happened to them? I thought they were probably mangled, ripped off. What have you? But I couldn't move anyway. So I was just leaning over on the seatbelt trying to look around and trying to figure out what was happening. Finally, I actually thought I was going to die at one point. I felt myself dipping. So I did, you know, my final prayer. I spoke to God. I'm like, please accept me into heaven, you know, so on and so forth. And I was fine. I was comfortable. If this is what it's going to be, then Mm -hmm. I'm done. I somehow came back to, I, I didn't go, I didn't die, I guess. And the ambulance got there and they pulled me out. And all I kept telling everybody from the ambulance to the hospital is, I don't want to be paralyzed. I don't want to be paralyzed. I just kept repeating it to everybody, thinking somebody could do something for me. And the next step was MRIs, 
they kept asking me my name, who's the president, what's your address. And I, I didn't know why at the time, but I think they were looking for some traumatic brain injury yeah. as well. And I'm just being lifted from one exam to another. And it all just happened so fast. And when they finally stopped with the exams, I remember looking at myself and going, oh my God, like there's no connection from my brain to my body. Like I can't move. I literally cannot move. And I'm like, I'm going to be okay. I kept thinking I'm going to be okay. Just give me 15 minutes, you know, give me an hour, give me whatever. And nothing was working. Finally, they came in and they asked me, are you willing to do a surgery? And the surgery is going to be in your neck, you know, so on and so forth. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm willing. Cause I thought if I did the surgery, I'd be whole again. So mm -hmm. 12, 13 hours later, I'm in the hospital waiting. Um, I wasn't scared. I did the next surgery. I came out. What part of your spine was actually injured? It's a cervical injury, which is a high. Mm. It's in the neck. It was like probably C3 to C7. Yeah. And there's all these terms that I don't really fully understand. You know, yeah. Medical, what happened, burst fracture, compression, so on and so forth. But I did the surgery and then you um, automatically are in the ICU. Mm-hmm. It was a really strange time. I didn't realize it till now when I really look back at it. They have to give you certain medications. I don't want to say you're drugged up because I was there a lot of the time. But then I realized I wasn't really there because my sister kept explaining my injury to me and what the doctors had said. And I couldn't remember. And I kept asking her and I couldn't remember. And I kept asking her, but you have all these wires in you and all these needles in you. And I remember having oxygen in my, my nose because I couldn't breathe that well on my own. How long did you think you were in the hospital for? The ICU, I think, was two weeks. Even you think of spinal cord injuries, you think, okay, he's paralyzed, but like your body temperature is whack and all these other things that come along with it that you don't think about as a result of that injury. That's a good point. So I can't regulate temperature very well, and specifically in the ICU. I was going into something called spinal cord shock and it's just like the movies. So I'd be looking at somebody and all of a sudden I am out. You see a white light. It's as if you're going to heaven and, wow. and I'm coming to and I can hear voices and I, it's like you open your eyes, but your eyes are already open. The white light fades. Your ears are ringing like in the movies and everybody's just on top of me asking me if I'm okay and they're working on me. And that happened quite a bit because, wow. uh, Yes, my spinal cord was in shock. That's crazy. So in addition to everything that I was going through at that time, I was not able to speak for a whole month, was not able to speak. And the doctors told me that I may never regain my real voice again. That was very scary, to say the least. Um, I can speak today, as you guys can tell, so thank God for that. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm thankful that I have that function. At the end of the two weeks... I shipped off. I was ready. I was motivated. And I wanted to do that physical therapy. So since then, I've been doing physical therapy straight for almost two years. And then talk about, too, with COVID, it's been like you start physical therapy and then like everything just went boom. Like you couldn't go because of COVID yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, I've been, it's been very interesting because... I started the physical therapy in 2019, probably August. 
And keep in mind, you go to inpatient rehab, so you're still in a hospital setting. It's very regimented. You wake up at like 7 in the morning. Not to mention that the medical staff are always walking in on you at 12 at night, 4 in the morning, 5, mm-hmm. 6, 7. Everyone has to do their routes. So you're never really sleeping. I do that, and then I get discharged outpatient that December. All of a sudden, springtime shows up, corona hits, and then I can't go for four or five months, which was really the biggest wake-up call to my situation of all time because now I actually had time to think. Instead of being surrounded by medical staff 24-7 and friends and family and all that, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in a wheelchair. That was really the toughest time because I was like stuck inside. And keep in mind at that point, I hadn't been in public still since this whole thing had happened. And it got a little warmer out and Corona hit and all of a sudden they're telling me I'm very high risk because my respiratory system is compromised and this is a respiratory uh, virus. So now they're telling me not to leave the house and I cannot come back to therapy. I wasn't allowed. So that was really, I don't know how to explain those times. I really fought uh, mentally. I fought through it. But there was a few times where I kind of lost it a little bit. I was just like, I cannot believe this. And no matter how much you shake and try and move and try and get up, you are strapped down to this chair. Mm. So then now you're back at therapy. Yep. So talk about some of the exercises that you do and that have you do and have those exercises progressed from when you first started therapy to now? Like, have you seen improvements? Yeah. So thankfully I did. And they always say that this is a nervous system. So this is going to be, it's a long, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm. So things move along very slowly. I started to see progress because they typically do. It's like when you work out, you go to the same gym. You know all the workouts, mm-hmm. and you do all different days. So it's not that it gets repetitive, but how many workouts can one human being do? <laughs> yeah. But I do do a lot. But the consistent thing is you do mat work to strengthen the upper body. Because people don't realize this. When they see somebody in a wheelchair, they think that the person can actually sit up straight. I cannot sit up straight. If you if you put me and you sit me up, I'm going to fall front or back. And I have no control. All I can do is lie down. And I have to tilt my wheelchair back every 15 minutes. What does that do for why you have to tilt it back? To get the pressure off of my where I'm sitting and my legs and my Mm -hmm. lower area so I don't get a pressure sore, which then again can lead to a lot of danger, hospitalization, fatality. So I literally don't even have 15 minutes where I cannot think about it. So during the day, all day, every day, whether I'm talking to somebody, I'm working out. I'm doing something. I need to stop every 15 minutes and tilt back for a number of minutes. And uh, your body kind of involuntarily spasms. And I I never thought of the word spasm, but these are more than what I expected. Like you're lying in bed, let's say you're sleeping and then both your knees kick up all the way to your chest really fast in a very powerful motion that you can't actually do. Why does that happen? They don't know. Just they think it's the brain trying to make a connection to the body. They just anytime I ask a lot of these people, doctors, whatever, nobody knows. This is another thing I didn't realize personally. When you want to stand up, all of that needs to 
work in harmony. Your abs hold you up. Your obliques hold you up. Your back holds you up. So the mat work is working on all that. Sitting up straight, strengthening the arms, strengthening the back, the midsection, the core, etc. Once that is done, I move on to the standing frame because you need to stand. If you don't stand, you know, bone density, blood pressure issues. All the other uh, things that just pile on. Did I tell you about when they stood me up for the first time? Did I tell you that? No, talk about that. So I had been sitting and I think I'm like, obviously everybody's taller than me now. And I didn't realize my brain had adjusted to my current height, I guess. And the first day they stood me up, I felt like I went up like eight feet. I was just like, oh my God, I am so high. Like, you know, in the movies when people have a fear of heights and the mm -hmm. screen goes, Ooh, mm -hmm. that's what the ground looked like to me. I kid you not. And it happens all the time. I'm, my brain is slowly getting used to it, but it looked so far away. And for once, I finally felt free. Wow. I'll never forget, like different things come in your head different quotes from your life, different memories, different things. And one day, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in a chair and they were, you know, getting ready to stand me up and there was no wheelchair around me. I was just sitting there and I could see myself. And the famous line, MLK, free at last, free at last. And I just, I felt so free for just that moment. And I just, it was unbelievable. It's crazy things that we take for granted, like walking, standing, and once you put in that situation, it's like your whole perspective has changed now. It's, crazy. it's really exhausting. And, you know, I actually was just hospitalized a number of days ago. Um, and I really thought about it. Like, they always say life is unfair, but this, this is just so unfair. And the reckless driver who hit me, not paying attention, has really, I don't even know what to say, turned my life upside down. He's moved on, probably not thinking about it, and I am just stuck in, I don't even know what to call this situation. Mm -hmm. It is, um, I don't know. And I was only supposed to be here for a weekend, and I've now been in Michigan. I'm not home. I've been here for two years, so it's frustrating. I really can't take it anymore, and I just want to come home. Is the reason why you're not back in Toledo because they don't have um, the proper uh, rehabilitation centers? Is that why? Yep, or else I'd be back in Toledo in no time. Wow. Can you talk about a little bit with therapy? Have you met people in therapy that have similar injuries? The craziest thing is, it seems like the main one I keep seeing is motorcycle accidents and people diving into water. And the diving in the water thing, it just bothers me so much because I don't know who invented diving in the water. I don't care. I don't care what people think if they're swimmers. I don't know why you would look at a body of water and just go head first into it. And now that I've seen a plethora of people that are in this situation, they're all young, young and old. That's crazy. You just dive into water and then it, sometimes it can cause a spinal injury? It, it, yeah, because nobody really knows what's going on under the water. I mean, you can have water and it could be an inch deep. You don't know. If people look at the water and they think, oh, I'm going to dive into this beautiful 12-foot lake. Mm -hmm. and not 12 feet. It's like the terrain of the earth. There's highs and lows and mountains and, yeah. and hills. And people don't know that. And I keep seeing fresh new people coming in with that situation. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I never thought about that. 
The scarier one, I'm just going to say this because I find it interesting. Yeah. I've heard of a spinal cord stroke. So there's a number of people that I've met that were living their normal lives. One story, the guy was sleeping. He woke up. He couldn't move. He had a spinal cord stroke. One girl that I know, she was gardening outside. Everything is normal. She's probably my age. Uh, maybe a little older. I'm not sure. And all of a sudden, she couldn't move and she was stuck on her front yard. It just happened. Just a stroke. Just like that. It's a spinal cord stroke. I don't know how it works, but I've now met a number of people that have gotten it. And it's so weird. Wow. What a lot of other people don't realize is when you have these injuries, like I used to look at people in wheelchairs and feel really bad for them. And I go, you know what? I hope to God that, you know, 20, 30 years later that they are comfortable because you look at them and you think they're comfortable. They're just sitting like you're sitting. But in reality, you never get used to it personally for me. And you're not comfortable. Your skin is sensitive. You get sick of sitting all day. And the sensitivity of the skin is very dangerous because if you get slightly cut, which is very, very easy now, it can become very dangerous leading up to death or amputations. Wow. Which I've seen a guy who got his legs amputated and almost died uh, about a month ago. Oh, that's crazy. But there are some uh, stories where people do recover from these injuries, though. And they're all different because yeah. we, we talked about this. Some people take a couple years. Some people it's longer. Some people it's shorter. There's an older gentleman. Uh, I really like him. He's a great guy. I call him Clint Eastwood because he's a good looking dude. Slick <laughs> back, you know. He, uh, I don't know how he got in his accident. I don't know if he was swerving away from a deer and then he woke up in the hospital days later. He doesn't know what happened, I think. This guy could not move, was eating out of a feeding tube. Uh, I mean, stuff I never did. It sounds really scary. And within a year, he's back up on his feet, and nobody really can explain many times why. Everyone, Everyone's body's different. You just never know. It's very personal. That's what yes. they say. It's very personal. I have, I have faith that you will definitely walk again. It just might take time, but... So... Do you... Is there talks of any treatments or cures because i know um stem cell research is a thing there's like there's like a lot of stuff so there's stem cell research like you said there's like these epidural stimulators that they either are like injecting in people or sorry implanting or just like i don't know how they're putting them in people to use uh, a lot of this stuff is very preliminary sadly and um there's one article I read that came out a few months ago where these German scientists injected mice in their brains, I believe, and they got up and walked in two or three weeks. So I've also looked into a lot of other things. There are companies all over the world or labs or whatever trying to team up together. They need money. They need funding. They need awareness. And they're trying to come up with the cure, but the problem is these things just need awareness, number one. Mm -hmm. People need to realize, hey, we need to fix this problem. And number two, they need money, much like when you saw what happened with the coronavirus. All the money, all the focus, all the mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals were working on that one subject and they got it done. Do I believe they can do it? I really do believe that they can do it. I they just need the awareness. I'm hoping whoever's listening 
can talk to whoever they know. I hope whoever's listening has the power, knows somebody has the power, the means, whatever the case may be, to get started on this, get working on it. There are a lot of people that you could really help. A lot of people want to get up and work again and contribute. I mean, you could save this country probably millions is the easy word. Could be billions of dollars if people got up and worked again. Yeah. And I'm sure they'd happily do it if they had the chance. This is why we're doing this. It's just to raise awareness, specifically share your story and hopefully funding for further research into these kind of injuries because there's not enough, unfortunately. I remember like hearing that you got into the accident and I'm like, what, Dom? Like, no, Dom is, you know, I just didn't expect that to happen. I just remember, again, you can be the healthiest, most athletic person just by chance and happen just like that. So. Yeah, I remember I used to come to your guys' house and do uh Dom was the most energetic <laughs> person ever. He would come to my house and scare me and hide behind the couch and roll. He was so fast. He was so fast. <laughs> oh so, my yes. gosh, I forgot about that. I remember get... I used to do somersaults and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. You you you're pretty fast on your feet. You're pretty light on your feet there. <laughs> So we need to get this kid up and moving again, so. <laughs> Before the accident, I want to kind of shift a little bit because you've done so many cool things and I think we'll continue to do cool things. Um, <laughs> Before the accident, you're supposed to go to Europe, which is crazy. Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks? I had bought new shoes. I had bought a few new things I wanted to take on my trip. I was going there with five other guys my age. It was going to be a Euro trip. Prague, Germany, London. I had a good friend. Your dad knows him, Maddie Tate. <laughs> we were supposed to meet him up in London, and it was supposed to be just a grand old time. I never thought that this could happen, and it happened so fast. But even though you didn't go to Europe, you have been other places, which I kind of want to talk about because you went to Spain and then Syria. How was Syria? Syria was phenomenal. Uh, it's a beautiful country situated on the Mediterranean. A lot of history. Damascus is the capital. It is the oldest continuously inhabited city on earth. You can Google that. And uh, there's just the terrain, the geography, the I mean the food. It was just it was it was beautiful. Just beautiful. I'm very lucky to have experienced that. How long were you there for again? Uh the last time I was there three months. Three months. That's a long time. It's a good time. Language wise. You knew some of it going in, and did you accumulate it more as you were there for three months? No, I you knew it all. I knew it all. all. Of course, I of course I was a little rusty, but uh, mm -hmm. the first month and a half, I was tweaking a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know. <laughs> and then after that, I was I was flying, so it was good. It was a good time. So then, talk about about Spain because I know you always come back and you always talk about your trip to Spain. <laughs> you know a little Spanish. Yeah, you know, it's funny because here in America, they laugh at them because of the sa sa sa. I embraced it. I don't care. I don't care if it sounds like a lift. Obviously, typical European culture, everybody walks around, has a good time. And it really changed me in a way. Because here in America, we like, we used to like baggy, we don't care. I'm a tough guy. I look cool. I was horribly underdressed. <laughs> really? Why? What would you wear? Whatever we wear in America, it was horrible. 
Really? Everybody over there is fitted like James Bond. They're wearing suits. They're wearing whatever, fresh shoes. I literally went on a spending spree and I'm like, I need a new award. I can't exist in this. <laughs> Fine. Here's another thing. So the person, I'm trying to order and I'm doing a really good job. You know, I would look at this book that I had. I would hear the accent. So all of a sudden, this guy and everything just kind of happened like it, it does on TV. His name is Nacho. And I've never met any name Nacho in my life. And he's like, dude, you are so good. Like, how do you, I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to order some beer. Dude. You know what I mean? He finds out I'm from America. He wants to hang out. He introduces me to all his friends. Javier, Sergio, all the classic names you see on TV. So we eat, we drink, all of a sudden we're at the bar. Me and Javier, you have to do a slight, you know, yeah. Are buying each other shots. We are hugging each other. We are kissing on the cheek. It was like this commercial I saw in the mid 2000s. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm living it. Somebody pinch me. <laughs> it was insane. It was fun. His name Sergio. was legit Nacho? <laughs> Nacho, Javier, Sergio. I had met a lady. I was okay. talking to her. I was said, I turned around, Sergio's making moves. And you know what? I can't hate on him. He, he shot his shot. So I just, you know, I just took it for what it was. I made <gasps> friends and we're doing the European thing. We're just hugging and kissing on the cheek and taking shots. Oh my gosh. Do you ever, like, do you have any of their numbers? Do you ever, like, talk to them or no? After People, that? Yeah. Beautiful, sweet guy. And girl, I met at a cafe in Cordoba, which is a very small city. Mm-hmm. And he still keeps up with me. He's, uh, I told him, I go, if I ever get out of this situation. And I actually, believe it or not, I have to try and speak to him in Spanish. He does not really want to try it in English. So I can be brave and talk to him there. And um, I told him one day, uh, I want to walk again, fly to Spain and drink coffee with you and Rocio. And hopefully that happens one day. His name is Antonin. So. Aww. Well, other parts, okay, so you're in Spain, you went to Madrid, what other, like, little areas that you went to? Madrid is in the middle. I went to Barcelona, which is probably, what, the top right side of it. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Andalusia, which is the south, which is known for all the flamenco dancing, the red dresses, the dark Did hair. you go dance? Not at all. No, 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 no. I'm not a dancer. Uh, I think any... you are a dancer. I don't want, just with your dad. Otherwise, I'd be humiliating myself in front of these professionals. Even when you're, when you're at the club, you don't dance? You just, what, sit there? Mingle? I, I hope your audience likes me and knows I'm I'm a nice guy, but I was just standing there trying to look cool. Oh yeah, Dom looking cool is like tight skinny jeans, hair gel, a lot of cologne, like a leather jacket. <laughs> you can thank that trip to Spain because before that, my clothes were very baggy. I was going to say, I feel like after you came back from Spain, you went, went like the tight skinny black jean route. You got my dad a pair of, of those jeans. And he probably never wore them, did he? I think he did. How long were you there in Spain for? Honestly, two weeks. I thought about quitting my job, though, because I wanted to stay there way longer. Which here in this country, you can't take off more than two weeks. (laughs) I have considered quitting. (laughs) And you went with your sister, Monica, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Uh, Go with siblings, but at the same time, don't go with siblings. (laughs) Okay, so you traveled, did your thing, but... You also been to LA, but you did an internship in healthcare yep. there, because you majored in healthcare administration, correct? In school. Yep. Let's talk about that a little bit. So that was interesting. You're not bored of me yet. No, I'm not. Oh my gosh. 
that was interesting because I got to go there and I got to work on outreach to disadvantaged populations, disenfranchised populations. Basically, we tried to touch everybody. So minorities, low income, whoever needed it, basically. And a lot of people, we had to do outreach, like making sure they were on top of the game. So we had a computer system. And we would call people and be like, hey, do you know that you're due for this screening? For example, cancer. You have to do those at those times because if you don't, you catch it at a late stage and it's way too late. So yeah. their, whole, their whole game was prevention. Mm-hmm. We also worked on getting people healthy food. People don't realize there's food deserts in many parts of the oh, United yeah. States. That's a huge problem. And... We, you know, every every week they had a farmer's market where they had vegetables and healthy food that people could come and get for cheap. We did smoking cessation, um, a, lot of, a lot of that stuff. So prevention, eating right, staying healthy, getting people into the doctor. Uh, I met a lot of people. I went to workshops. And the one thing that stuck out to me was I was at a workshop at UCLA. They were talking about a project they did to get homeless people because there's a lot of homeless people there as many people know to get them shoes and actually get their feet checked up a lot of people don't realize a lot of these individuals sadly walk around barefoot they don't have money for shoes they can't take care of themselves many people that are homeless people think like oh they're homeless because they're lazy they don't want to get a job people don't realize there's many factors that go into being homeless including mental uh, illness Exactly. And the biggest takeaway that one of the people in that project had was these people were just so happy that we were talking to them. And you never think about that because all people try and do is evade them, walk around them, and stay away. So why, why did you go into healthcare? I thought it just would give me a lot of options in the future to work in a good environment, be in a positive place where I'm doing something right. And with all the new stuff that was supposed to be coming within the next 10 years, I thought really there was so much growth. So one of the cool things that you've done is work with us together, which is a place to help refugees, correct? Yeah, asylees, uh, anyone fleeing any country due to political violence, um, civil war, ethnic tensions. So we got to work with people from all over the world. How did you get involved with that? Honestly, I just started volunteering one day. I thought I was going to go help one time. And they'd never see me again. And it turned into four years. Talk about some of the things that you worked on and what you've done. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I want to touch my, on, too, was it with, through local segments with CNN and NPR? The news did show up. I met Ari Shapiro, the host of All Things Considered, which comes on NPR. He covered our office. Uh, not once, but twice. It was a amazing experience. I had such a great time. I got to know him very well. And it was amazing. So whoever's listening, you need to listen to his show. <laughs> I also got to work with Mr. Gary Tuckman. He was working on stories for Anderson Cooper 360, which airs nightly on CNN. Mr. Tuckman works with CNN. He is a phenomenal human being. It was really 
a phenomenal experience and the best single day of my life was the day I spent with him. And I'm very lucky that I was able to meet both of them. I wish I could create a new word to express my gratitude. We worked on women's empowerment programs, employment, getting people employed, financial literacy. That was mainly my area was the employment and the financial literacy. But the office as a whole worked on getting people housing, getting people, getting all their proper paperwork done, advising, a lot of advising because people are coming here and they're very confused. They're new. The U.S. system is very complicated if you're not from here. Mm-hmm. Very nuanced. And we just did like literally every single part of your life that you'd probably do from age zero to age 30, 40. We did in the span of like, a, I don't know, a year for people. It was insane. I'd go to work every day and you don't know what you're going to get. It was uh, it was insane in a good way. Were there any common threads that you would see throughout, you know, working with this many different people? They're all in shock. A lot of these people are in shock and they wake up from that shock like one or two years later. It's a lot when they first get here. It's a lot being thrown at them. They can't speak English. Many of them, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. We enroll their kids in school. They're trying to manage, you know, their kids. They're trying to manage finding a job. They're trying to manage finding a house. They're trying to manage, like, paying bills and just being a productive member of the American society and getting a driver's license and buying a car and all these monumental things that, for the average American, takes quite some time that we would do very quickly. We would get donations for them from different segments of the community. So a lot of them got cars when they first got here. We would give them community connectors. So people from the community that want to coach them, that want to help them. Uh, We did a youth mentoring program after school. They'd come. We had tutors for them. They study. I mean, literally anything and everything. Everybody went above and beyond. The one thing I'll remember is um, one of the news reporters said, When they do news, they need to find the pros and the cons when they interview people, people who like what's happening, and then a few people that don't. They want to get both sides. And they said Toledo was the hardest city to find anyone to say anything bad about what was happening, and the person didn't really say anything that bad. So shifting from us together, talk about, okay, Starbound. So Dom, you know, humanitarian, helping out people, but then also like, Okay, modeling, acting a little bit, you know, here and there. Talk about Starbound. That was such a beautiful experience for me. It was, um, I hope to go back one day. Honestly. How did you get uh, involved? What did you do? Everything. You know, one day day after I graduated college, I just decided, hey, your dad actually told me about it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, your dad told me about it. I'm like, hey, what the heck? Why not? I'm going to go there. (laughs) And it was a unique experience. Like, you think you're so confident and you're Mr. Whatever, and then you get there and they start telling you, hey, get up in front of everybody, do this, get up in front of everybody, do that. And I did it in 2010, and then I just left. I moved on my life. I went to work. I had a degree. I just graduated. Then in 2015, I get an email from the owner, and it's just like a random email, and I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Let's try it. So Starbound is like an agency, correct? Or can you describe yes, it a little the, bit for me? Yeah. So basically what they do is if you want to be a Hollywood star, 
they give you your chance. You go there, they train you, modeling, acting, singing, talent, dancing, what have you. They get you ready for competition. You go to the competition, and this is the big difference. When I lived in LA, everybody's an actor, everybody's a model, everybody. <laughs> and I remember I met a guy, and I asked him, like, tell me about your life the last five years. And his life was just chaotic. He just moved to LA. He's spending $1,500 a month on an apartment. He is going from one agency to another. And you're just shooting, I don't know, is the term shooting in the dark? Yeah. And they give you a chance to actually go to a competition where there are agents, managers, producers. You show them what you got. You get signed. Then you kind of move out there and you're more in a guided situation. You know what you're doing. You have people. Everyone has your back. So I found that to be a very good place for me to go. I helped them do improv, teach acting, young and old. Um, it was very rewarding. You meet a lot of cool people from the community, and you see them grow and blossom. And it's it was that feeling is just like undescribable. And a lot of these people are moving on. They're doing good things in Hollywood. The little kids are great. I mean, <laughs> the story. you see these little kids with these personalities. And my favorite was one of the moms is like, I don't know where she gets this. <laughs> and then, so would you go to LA then? And like, what would they have in LA? Like the competitions? There's a big conference. Okay. And you go there and there's competitions all day, every day. And it's your chance to show people what you have. There's, you know, they have the model walk and it looks like you are in a modeling, like what you see on TV. Mm -hmm. And it's the perfect place to practice and to show people what you have. And they have rooms where you go in front of agents and you do your bit. And there's different kinds of competitions they grade you on. And if people like you, they will call you back and you will get signed. That's crazy. Many, many times the Toledo branch... We're always, Toledo's always small wherever we go, but we always wind up winning many, many awards and doing very, very well, quality over quantity every time. They do mm. so well. I think, Dom, you really love helping the community in any way, whether it's with acting kids, arts, or asylees, refugees. People always tell you, like, oh, do this, the job is rewarding. And people get hear, bored of hearing the job is rewarding. I'm going to tell you this. When you do stuff like that, it is so fun. It's just so fun. The day passes by, you meet great people, and you just have a great time. That's all I can say. Yeah. I feel like you're all about the good times. <laughs> it's all about the good times. <laughs> it wouldn't be artifacts if I didn't ask you rapid fire questions. Okay. So, are you ready? All right. Yeah. This is this is really specific to Dom, so <laughs> no one really knows. I'm kind of scared. Number one, Ronaldo or Messi? Ronaldo. <laughs> that, that was a fast answer. Why? That's an easy one. I just like him. I don't know anything about Messi. I'm sure he's a great guy. <laughs> Ronaldo is very classy. He helps people. He stood up for a little boy during a press conference one time that really stuck out to me. Uh. I have a lot of respect for that. Besides for all the money he sends to sick people and sick kids and all uh -huh. the stuff that he and he's really good. And he's hot. So <laughs> he's hot. He's number one. Favorite Disney cartoon movie? <sighs> oh, my gosh. That's tough. As a kid, me and my best friend just watched The Lion King all the time. Aladdin's a good one. 
a lot of those good ones, Beauty and the Beast, but I, I don't know how to choose at this point. Okay. okay. Yeah, top three. I don't know. Yeah. What is the summer song that you're into right now? Heatwaves by Glass Animals. I, I knew you were going to say that. Heatwaves been faking me out. Can't make... That's a, that's a you song. And I'm glad that you are singing the song. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not a good singer. What is the last show that you've watched? Vikings. Really? Yep. Somebody told me it's the final season. What's your opinion? And I lost track of it, so I watched it last night. What's What station is on? Or is it? It's appeared on the History Channel. Okay. But now I think it's running on Amazon Prime. Mm. And you like all you like all those shows. I do. I mean, my favorite. Okay, so one of my top favorite movies just will shock everybody. Mean Girls. Really? That was really good. Why do you like it so much? It was just genius. It was funny. It was perfect. It became a cult classic. And I met the heartthrob, Aaron Samuels, at the mall in Toledo. He's originally from Toledo. Wait, really? Yep. I was uh, I was peeing. I was at the urinal. <laughs> and one of my good friends, she's a girl because everybody knows how much I love that movie, called me. And she goes, dude, it, Samuels is here. I immediately run out of the bathroom. I walk all the way down the end of the mall. And I don't see him because I wanted to meet him. And I'm like, what the heck do I do now? And I call him, like, do you know where he is? And she said, no. And I thought about it. I'm like, if I were Aaron Samuels, where would I be? I went straight to Forever 21. Are you serious? He was in there. I tried to discreetly talk to him to give him his privacy. And he was the nicest guy. And all of a sudden, all the girls at Forever 21 saw me talking to him. They freaked out. He got rushed. Every around him. I left. I went. I ate. I came back. He's still surrounded. And I literally, I'm like, I am so sorry. And he's like, it's okay. He was the nicest guy. Oh, What is your favorite time period in history? Huh. I, for years of my life, I really wanted to go back in a time machine and go check out the Roman days. Mm-hmm. See what that was like. But I think now that I'm older, I would love to check out different pieces. So I don't want to be cliche and say the Roman days. We'll stick to that, but I would love to check out a few other spots, too. The Roaring Twenties. Really? Huh. I feel like you would be in a speakeasy. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> and then this is really specific to Dom because, yes, what is your 1 a.m. Saturday night Taco Bell order? Two chalupas. As many hard tacos as necessary. No cocoa because because I want to sleep. No caffeine. Him and my dad always come home with Taco Bell, and I would eat some too. Or Dom would take me to get Taco Bell because that was just the thing that we did. It's a good place. Before we officially end the podcast, is there anything that you want to say to people who've been thinking about you and who helped you and supported you throughout your whole injury process? Or anything you want to say? I want to thank everybody that has reached out in any way, shape, and form. It doesn't have to be calling me every day. It doesn't have to be donating, which, you know, that was tough for me to even try and, you know, put out there. It doesn't have to be, but the thoughts, the prayers, the text messages, the phone calls always stayed in touch with me. It really, really, really means a lot because... 
that situation was so fast, so final, so unseen. I I don't know. I haven't spoken to other people, but I don't know how you wrap your mind around it. I'm still in shock. I still don't understand it. I still don't accept it. I don't know. So everyone who's been there for me, you have no idea what that means. So thank you. Don, thank you so much for coming on Artifacts and letting me have you on to share your story. I'm really glad that we were able to do this. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you and everybody's listening, so have a great day. Thank yes. you. Stay tuned, everyone, for another episode next month. Peace out.